Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, again, there are Bibles on the back table for you to use if you desire, uh, or you may just follow along with the insert uh, that's found in your bulletin this morning. We continue in our series uh, simply entitled, Jesus Stories. We've been jumping around the Gospels a bit, turning our attention to Jesus specifically and not just some of the works that He has done, but for the past two weeks, some of the stories that He Himself told. So we looked at a couple miracles. Last week we looked at a particular kind of story called a parable. Well, this week we turn once again to the parables. I defined very briefly last week a parable as a vivid story of veiled truth. A vivid story of veiled truth. And again, today we look at some stories that Jesus tells where He uses everyday objects to communicate to us, to His disciples, cosmic realities and eternal truth. Well, this morning we're going to take a big bite. I Hopefully it's... Hopefully it's not going to be like taking a sip from a fire hose. Um, I think we can do it. We're going to look at five parables this morning in Matthew chapter 13. I think we can get away with this because of a couple reasons. One is because Jesus in this passage is answering the same question. He's answering the question, what is the kingdom of heaven like? He didn't have, Jesus didn't have a week break between these parables. He was telling them one after the other, and the disciples were trying to keep up. They were trying to digest what it is that he was saying. They didn't always get it. But Jesus was trying to communicate and get them to understand how his rule would begin to take shape and would take shape into the millennia. Because they had a whole different conception of what his kingdom and what his kingship would look like. We can also get away with this because many of these stories are just simply very short. Jesus really wasn't interested in intricate character development. He was more interested that we get the point. That we wrestle with the truth. And so what that means is a lot of details in these stories that we may be curious about or that we might want to know the answers to really aren't that relevant. What's relevant is the point of the story. And so listen as I read Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start at verse 24. Verse 24, Jesus is in the midst of a discussion. He's in the midst of a series of teachings. Most recently, the parable of the sower, another parable that we have looked at earlier in another context. But here in verse 24, he launches into another story and he says, he put, before, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, 
An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up with the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went on and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I realize that was a large passage. That was a lot of pictures to begin to digest. All those pictures that Jesus gave of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. What do they mean? What is the purpose in Jesus telling this to his disciples? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit giving it us, giving it to us here today, thousands of years later? 
When an agricultural society, and especially that one that is situated by the sea, these pictures of harvest, these certain kinds of seed and fields and pearls and fishing nets, all these things that we look at this morning were part of everyday life for Jesus' original hearers. And there's a challenge for us at the very beginning to really let these things here in suburbia, in modern America, seep in and have their intended effect. But for a few minutes, I want to try and walk through all those stories that Jesus told in a brief manner using four simple points, four key points that I think will encourage us and challenge us this morning as a church. And the first one is this. Be patient. God knows what He's doing. Be patient. God knows what He is doing. Well, you know as well as I do that by nature we are not patient people. Fast food, express lanes, instant oatmeal. We want it now. We don't want to have to wait. And that translate, that translates into our frustration with the world at times. All the way from what is happening on a global scale to what happens in our day to day life. We ask questions like, how are things so messed up? Did our lawmakers really just pass that? Why me? Why this diagnosis? How long will it last? You see, we need to be reminded, and Jesus reminds us something about the reality of our world that we need to hear. He reminds us of the weeds. It's the first picture that Jesus gives us, this first vivid, concrete expression of a cosmic truth. In our story, in the first story, these weeds are maliciously put in a field in the dark of night by an enemy. And these are weeds, not necessarily as we think about weeds in our modern day. That's not exactly the picture. It's more than just a nuisance in a beautiful bed of flowers. Now, the weeds that Jesus is speaking of here to His disciples are weeds that actually look like wheat. They look just like wheat and they eventually grow and grow, but they produce no fruit. And they eventually show themselves as worthless members of the field. They make life difficult for the wheat. They make the wheat's struggle, or existence, a struggle. They at times will thrive while the wheat languishes. And maybe the hardest thing to swallow is that they're not removed. That they're here to stay. At least until the end of all things. See, Jesus is explaining to us, He's explaining to His disciples the reality of the world that we live in. We live in a world filled with weeds. And the psalmist expressed a frustration, the same kind of frustration that comes from our hearts at times. Psalm 10, why, O Lord, do you stand far off for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul? His ways prosper at all times. 
In Psalm 13, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The psalmist cries. So what's a follower of Christ? What's a follower of the King to do? We're to be patient. We're to trust that God knows what He's doing. You see, we need the patience of this farmer. The farmer in the story that Jesus tells. This terrible thing has happened and yet he's not panicking. He's not worried. The weeds are there, but it's still his field. He knows what to do. He just chooses to wait. We look around us at times and we live in a world that sometimes feels honestly like it's spinning out of control. Sin ravages our world on this grand scale as dictators willing to kill their own people to gain more power. Just thrive. As fanatics in the name of God willing to kill innocent lives run around rampant. But it's not just out there. Maybe you feel this morning, maybe you're sitting here this morning and your world in some way is spinning out of control and you've not done anything to cause it. It's all outside of you. And yet you feel like your faithfulness has gone unrewarded while godlessness around you prospers. You see, friends, the encouragement of the wheat and the weeds, is to take heart, to be patient, because God knows what He's doing. God hasn't forgotten. He will make all things right. Order will be restored. But the question still remains, but why why are you waiting? Come, Lord Jesus, come! Why is He allowing the weeds To flourish. Well, that's why Jesus, that's why the farmer is the farmer and we're not. A number of passages come to mind. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10. The apostle says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Just like this story says. But part of the answer is because of God. Because of God's patience. He wants the world to hear. He wants them to have the opportunity to repent. And to return to their Maker. But there's also, of course, Romans 8.28, that familiar passage to many of us. We know that God, that for those who love God, all things work together for those who called according to His purpose. 
See, just like the story of Job, the Lord uses the circumstances around us, even the sinful ones, even the weeds, to grow us, to change us, to mold us. And we're called to be patient, to trust Him, to remember that He knows what He's doing. The same encouragement is found in James 5. You also be patient, he says. Establish your hearts, for the Lord's coming is at hand. The judge is standing at the door. See, the farmer is patient. The Lord knows what he's doing, but this story, don't miss the fact that this story is a warning shot across the bow of those who don't know the Lord Jesus. For us who know and love Him, we exist in a world of frustrating wickedness and sin, and we long for His name and His fame to cover the earth. But maybe some of you are here this morning and you don't know that Jesus. Well, this story and God's Word this morning reminds you, today is the day of salvation. Yes, the Lord is Patient, he knows what he's doing, but like a thief in the night, it will come and the harvest will take place. Don't find yourself a weed. That's the first picture of the kingdom that the Lord Jesus gives us this morning. The second one comes from the next picture, and it's simply this God is doing something big. God is doing something big. We all love those rags-to-riches stories. We all love to watch March Madness and see that terrible-seated underdog Cinderella team make it to the Elite Eight. We love to hear about Ray Charles coming from nowhere to become a superstar. Humble and small beginnings can have incredible results. And that's part of what Jesus is saying about His kingdom. The difference is that for someone like Butler or someone like Ray Charles, it's unexpected. But for us, we ought to expect it. We ought to hope in it. It ought to be an encouragement for us. And again, Jesus takes these everyday common items and makes the point He uses a mustard seed, this itty-bitty seed, which can eventually grow into a, a plant that is 10 to 12 feet high. So high that birds can perch on its branches. And that, Jesus says, is a picture of what I'm building. Something small will turn out to be enormous. And one wonders the people that were sitting there that day hearing Jesus say this. One wonders how big they were thinking. I mean, how big is big, Jesus? And here we are sitting on the other side of that story. We see what the seed has done over the past 2,000 years. found a great quote by the old preacher J.C. Ryle. And he says this, he says, its first founder, speaking of the kingdom of God. Its first founder was one who was poor in this world and ended his life by dying the death of a malefactor on the cross. His first, its first adherents 
were a little company whose number probably did not exceed a thousand when the Lord Jesus left the world. Its first preachers were a few fishermen and publicans. Most of them unlearned and ignorant men. Its first starting point was a despised corner of the earth called Judea, a petty tributary province in the vast empire of Rome. But year after year, its adherents became more numerous. Year after year, idolatry withered away before it. City after city, country after country received the new faith. In a few hundred years, the religion of the despised Nazarene, the religion which began in the upper chamber of Jerusalem, had overrun the civilized world. Why does Jesus paint this picture for us? Because what an encouragement this is. Your work is important. But you are something much bigger than Boeing. Your family is important. But you are part of something much bigger than the legacy that you will simply leave behind with them. You're part of something that is bigger than you could ever do on your own. Something that's not about you, but something that's about the God who made you. It will not fail. It will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow. What a wonderful encouragement for us. Jesus builds on this picture of the mustard seed growing into this huge 10 to 12 foot plant. By bringing up leaven. We talked about leaven briefly last week. Leaven was this piece of fermented dough that was put in a new patch of bread in order to make it rise. And many of your translations will translate it yeast to convey what Jesus wanted to convey. Namely, that all you need is a little yeast and it will spread and it will affect everything, changing its very composition. And it's interesting, in a story where Jesus is really not focusing on details in the story. He focuses in on a detail. There in verse 44, I think it is, where he says, the amount of flour is enough to make 40 loaves of bread. 40 loaves of bread. What will start out small will turn into something huge. So how does this affect us? Well, personally, I think the first thing is I want the kingdom of God. I want what God is doing to get inside of us. To get inside of us. To shape our dreams. To shape our affections. To shape the way we speak. To shape our habits. To shape our relationships. Our whole way of thinking And doing things. No part of us should remain unaffected because of what Jesus is doing. And so in a sense, we're building on what we talked about last week as we talked about talents. It's about bringing kingdom priorities and kingdom principles to every aspect of our lives. Frankly, some of us aren't doing this. The way we spend our money and the way we spend our time. And yet Jesus reminds us He's doing something big. 
and you are a part. But there's more. There's more. Jesus brings up a treasure and a pearl. A treasure and a pearl. We've been watching a show at my house uh, periodically called American Pickers. If you've ever seen this show, it's on the History Channel. It's a great show. It's a great show as these guys scour through loads of junk in order to find treasures. Treasures that they can refurbish and treasures that they can sell. And they're always asking the question as they find something amidst this junk, they say, what's it worth to you? What's it worth to you? It's a show that's built upon the premise that one man's junk is another man's treasure. You see the difference between what they're doing and what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 13 is this, that the treasure of verse 44, the pearl of verse 46 is different. Because this is no man's junk. This is a treasure for everyone. And so that's the third thing that I want us to think about as Jesus tells us these stories, and it's simply this. Jesus is worth everything. Jesus is worth everything. First, you have this man who stumbles upon treasure in a field. Like we saw last week, it's not unheard of that someone would bury treasure in a field. That often happened, but what if you forgot about where the treasure was? Well, that seemingly is what happened here in this story. And the merchant was another kind of treasure finder. He was actively pursuing treasure. He knew in his heart what he wanted and he was searching in order to find it. Each man had different paths, but they had one heart. They had a heart of serious abandon as they tried to attain what they knew they couldn't live without. And that's the point. Jesus says, following me, being part of the kingdom, is worth everything. Each man in the story was willing to do whatever it took. Whatever it took. I remember when I was in college and I was dating Anna. I didn't have hardly any money I was working my way through school, taking out loans, and so anything extra, I had to find some other way to earn income. And so I remember going down as a college student, a 19-year-old college student, to downtown inner city Chattanooga in order to give plasma, in order to hook myself up to a blood machine because they'd give me 20 bucks for my plasma. Crazy. But when you're in love, you do crazy things. When you're in love, it doesn't matter what it takes. We read in Psalm 84, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than in the tents of wickedness. 
So the challenge for us this morning, you who have found the treasure of Christ, you who know and love him, how is the seriousness and sacrifice for that treasure, that continuing pursuit of that treasure, how is it showing up in our lives? Is it consuming you? Is your life orbiting around him? We all need to pray for the grace to make Christ our treasure. He is worth everything. Well, there's one more picture we need to close. There's one more picture for us to look at briefly. Jesus ends this day of storytelling and pictures by the sea with maybe the most vivid picture as the crowds face the sea, listening to Jesus. This last picture is a picture of judgment. It's a picture of sorting fish. It's a, it's a scary picture, to be honest. It's a picture that reminds those who aren't Christ's, those who aren't followers of Jesus, to not wait another minute. But for us who know and love Him, there's one last challenge for us. And it's this. Make your life a showcase for the kingdom. Make your life a showcase for the kingdom. You see, Jesus' questions to his disciples turn on us this morning. Do you understand what I've just told you? Do you understand what you've just heard? Do you see that the God that you serve is much bigger than your world of sin and sorrow and that He knows what He's doing? Do you see that what He's doing is so much bigger than you or I could ever build on our own or be a part of on our own? And do you understand that pursuing Me is your greatest pursuit in life? There can be no greater thing because I'm worth everything. See, if you understand those things, if you can digest those things, if those are the cry of your heart, then you're ready. You're ready to be a host, as Jesus says. A host who invites people into your home, literally and figuratively, that you might show them the treasure that you hold. The kingdom that you are a part of. The God who is doing something extraordinarily big in the world. See, this is what we are to be about. The church and its members are a picture of kingdom life. You are a picture of what God is doing on the stage of human history. And as Jesus told His disciples elsewhere, you are, a, you are the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so let your light shine. Make your life a showcase for the kingdom. As you wait patiently, trusting that He knows what He's doing, hopeful and expectantly that, oh, this is going to be big. And knowing that Christ, the treasure, lies at the center. May God give us the grace to live like that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word this morning. This is a large passage.
a lot of pictures, but I pray that these truths which we have spoken of, that those objects that the Lord Jesus spoke to the crowds that day, and that He now speaks to us today as we gather in His name and as we sit at the feet of His Word, I pray that You would impress these upon our hearts, that they would encourage us, that they would embolden us, that they would guide us as we seek to be faithful to the One who has been more than faithful to us. Oh, this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.